0: Well, this is a kind of hard scripture to follow, not because the words are, are difficult, but because uh, Jesus seems to be repeating himself and, and, and saying some things over and over again. And uh, one might suspect that he's a little bit nervous. I want to give you a little bit of background that will help you understand the context of what's going on. This is, as uh, Clara said, the last night of Jesus' life. And he has, um, earlier that evening, had a last supper with his disciples. He has washed their feet as a sign of the importance of loving one another and serving one another. And then he reminded them of what was most important about his teachings, giving them a new commandment that they love one another as he has loved them. He goes on and prepares those disciples then for his death and departure, telling them that they won't be left orphaned. They'll have a spirit with them and encouraging them to abide in his love and also with one another. He predicts that they will face trials as they live out their lives in his name, in the world. But he also predicts that they will do greater things even than he has done. And after he's done these wonderful loving acts of feeding and washing their feet and giving them a last minute reminder of instructions, the simple important ones, and prepared them for his departure. Then in this whole chapter of John 17, which is the last chapter before Jesus is arrested and then tried and put to death, John, still with the disciples being present, uh, Jesus turns his attention away from them and speaks directly to God. And This is where we take up kind of a little bit towards the beginning of that prayer. And and it's interesting because Jesus kind of um, seems like he's giving God some instructions on what needs to happen with those disciples as he hands them off. And it reminded me, this is Mother's Day, but it reminded me of a kind of mothering thing. I don't know uh, if you can relate to it, but... um, When I first, uh, after having a child, had to have somebody else take care of them, and you start thinking about not only who are you gonna get, but then when they're there in front of you, what are you gonna tell them that they need to do? It was kind of traumatic for me. I uh, remembered when I uh, was thinking through this whole scenario what it was like when I was a fifth grader in my first babysitting assignment, which wasn't to infants, but it was to little monsters down the street. And um, I remember the uh, nervous mom knowing it was my first babysitting assignment uh, telling me all kinds of instructions. And, and I wished that she had written them down because I didn't tell her. In fact, I might not have known enough about myself to be able to say, I can't remember that many instructions at one time. Uh, and then I I thought about, you know, as I was getting ready to have somebody come, oh, what all all do I need to write down to make sure they know? And what do they need to know specifically about this child? And Jesus is going through that kind of thing. He says, God, I know that these, these ones belong to you, and you've given them to me. But I want you to know, uh, they've, they've followed, they've received your word, and and as I'm handing them off to you, I'm going to keep praying for them. Watch over them. Protect them. Jesus was kind of making a handoff. And I know when I was Preparing to get a babysitter particularly one that was going to be for a long period of time uh, Not being a great planner. I kind of gave up on writing down all the details and looked for people whose character and whose judgment I absolutely trusted Because then everything would fall into place So one of the first things that I notice about this passage is that Jesus As close as he felt to these disciples, as much as he'd invested in them, Jesus felt absolutely confident, handing them over to God, the Father. I have sometimes people uh, talk with people who um, say, you know, I I know Jesus, I, I love the stories about Jesus, I really relate to Jesus, Jesus is great, but I'm not so sure about God. God seems really harsh and all that stuff, I'm just not sure. And in this passage, we see that Jesus is confident that the love with which he has been received and sent forth by God is absolutely representative of the character of God. In terms of their love and their identity and their characteristics, there's no space between Jesus and God. Jesus is a true face of God, and if you love Jesus and the stories about Jesus, that is who God is. Second point I love about this uh, prayer This is Ascension Sunday in the church calendar. Um, We didn't read the traditional Ascension scriptures. Those are the ones in Luke where Jesus um, gives his disciples instructions to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit to come upon them. And then at the beginning of Acts, he's lifted up from their sight and ascends into heaven. And we, we think of that as the occasion when we celebrate Christ's enthronement, where he's no longer bound to the limitations of a particular time and place, but instead is along with God, seated on the throne, and is now reigning with God. This passage gives me an an idea about one part of what Jesus' intercession is for us. Jesus is praying for us. Uh, every now and then, uh, people ask me to pray for them. And, and I know when I ask other people to pray for me, they are people who I, I trust will, will know uh, me know God's heart, and it really gives, gives me a great deal of confidence as a Christian to know that Jesus is perpetually praying for us, for the church, for everyone who calls calls on His name to say that's what God's like, and. Um, Jesus' intercession for us is focused fairly simply. He, he said, I'm praying that God will watch over this community, these people I've nurtured and called who have received. And I'm praying that they will be not safe from every harm, not taken out of anything that is going to be difficult, but I'm praying that their spirits will be preserved, that their faith, that their awareness of love and goodness will be guarded and protected. And right after, uh, we actually don't read the whole prayer in the scripture today, although it's long enough. If we went one more verse, we'd see that Jesus says, I'm praying for these you've given to me. But it goes on and says, and I'm praying for all those who believe because of their work. So it's for us too. This intercession goes on. I wonder what it would feel like to think of ourselves as a church, not primarily as an institution or even a set of beliefs, but we are a community for whom Christ praise. One of the key parts of his prayer is that God will make us one as he is one with God the Father. That they may be one. And lots of times that verse is kind of taken out of context uh, and it's used uh, to say how important the unity of the church is, and sometimes it's it's often quoted in ecumenical initiatives or dialogues, uh, that important line. Holy Father, watch over them in your name, that they will be one, just as we are one. But it's interesting, to put it in its whole context, uh, we lots of times think that oneness Unity is something that is produced by human initiatives and different programs, and uh, maybe even by church structures. That is what uh, is part of the assumption. Right now, the bishops are working um, with uh, the Commission on the Way Forward, and General Conference, uh, the Special Conference, will be working on it also, try to figure out. How do we make unity a reality in light of serious differences about LGBT inclusion? And I find this reassuring because it really grounds the quest and the project of unity, not in our work, but in God's work. Unity is a gift of what God does. Unity may look different ways. If we really ourselves want to be cooperating with God's program of unity among Christians, we simply ought to be devoting ourselves to deepening our spiritual life with Christ. And that, I don't know how to draw it in a structure on paper, but we all know how to do that that they may be one as a gift of god's grace in the form that god has in mind and finally i want to say a word uh, from this passage about our mission statement of making disciples for the transformation of the world one of the things that will uh, to me and to others i'm sure seem a little bit jarring as you hear this scripture, this prayer that Jesus was praying is that he seems pretty down on the world. Uh, you know, the world hates you, you're gonna have trouble in the world, uh, but you're not from the world, you're in it, but you're not of it, and I'm not from the world. Uh, John, the, the gospel writer, has a, a, a specific kind of concept in mind when he uses world in that way. Uh, dinner last night, with my, it was my Mother's Day celebration with my kids, uh, my son, who listens to books on Audible, uh, was talking enthusiastically about all the books that he's uh, been listening to, and he's Brave New World, uh, 1984, and then some other things that were newer titles, and I kind of said, hey, uh, do you have a dystopian thing going on? Are you like... And he said, yeah, that's exactly the genre that I put into Audible and I've been getting all these things and I'm like, hey, you know, that could be kind of a downer. He goes, oh, it seems so real and current. And there are others who feel like the world. There's some yucky stuff in the world. And Jesus does not deny any of that. In fact, that's probably why he nervously keeps circling back over his instructions to God. The disciples are being sent to do great things in a world that is challenged by darkness. But He has confidence that transformation of the world happens through the transformation of individuals in community, just as he has started. And when I think of transformation of the world, I always think of some program and like, what can you do about this problem or that problem? All of that's important. But first and foremost, the church is called to transform people one person at a time, one nurturing person at a time, one person in confirmation. All nine of these young people who are confirmed today, wonderful people with very different situations in life and not, not a stranger from the obstacles and the darkness in the world. But I am confident Because of all of the people who have mentored them in Sunday school and youth group, whether you've been a Sunday school teacher or not, you have given offerings and your offerings have supported the work that nurtures them. You have supported them just by being here in worship and showing as an example that worship is important to you. You value it enough to come. You have all, this community, been mentoring and bringing in nine new, wonderful, professing members of this community for which Christ perpetually prays. So let's not be discouraged by the big, big challenges of the world, let's be encouraged to Do God's work one person at a time. And may God bless us in that sacred endeavor. Amen.